0: Morning. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my guest, Lisa Cole, who is a repeat guest on the Master Gardener Hour. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. I wish you guys, I wish this was television, because Lisa is expecting her second child, and she is still out in the dirt and out in the garden digging. Um, Lisa is an environmental horticulturist at the Chattahoochee Nature Center in Roswell, Georgia and it's one of the coolest places in the metro area and I hope all of your communities have something that's great because it's a native plant habitat. Lisa tell us about how long you've been there and what you do every day. Well that's right I work at the Chattahoochee
1: Nature Center I've been there it'll be five years this summer and basically our mission in plants is to educate the public about native plants and their value and importance. Um, and even putting them in our own landscape, how we can do that and still have a good-looking landscape. So a lot of my time is spent maintaining the grounds of the Nature Center and then um, dually, about six months out of the year, spent growing plants and developing them and propagating them for our big
0: plant sales that happen throughout the growing season, too. Well, we're going to talk about the plant sale because it's something that if you are in the South – Georgia, I mean, you need to take advantage of this plant sale that's coming up, but we'll get into the kind of gory details about the you know, the who's and the winds and everything of the plant sale a little bit later. But the you know, the thing about natives is I think people really I think the ice has been cracked. Don't you as far as people Wanting to know more about natives?
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think that native plants for a long time had a wrap of just being kind of weedy. And nobody knew exactly where they fit into a landscape with camellias and rose bushes and perfect lawns. They kind of felt like the look that the native plants had... Didn't necessarily fit into that manicured look, but, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. Certainly there are native plants that have more of a meadow look where it would be great for a wild space. But there's also natives and even cultivars of natives that you can find that can satisfy all the requirements of a non-native plant that you put in your yard, um, except that they're so much easier. They don't have the disease issues that non-natives have. They don't require as much water. They don't require the amount of fertilizer. And to me, the most important thing is what they give back to nature. Um, Because the animals and insects that live here have co-evolved with these plants, they recognize them. So you see a higher number of pollinators come to visit your yard. You see a higher number of um, birds, amphibians, and all the way up the food chain because you're working with plants that automatically support that so much better than something non-native that's come from across the ocean that our animals just haven't really figured out what exactly they're supposed to do with.
0: Wow. I mean, those are such good points and such um, so true. Um, the natives, I think, I it's crazy. I have a non-native. I, I have a non-native. I had three plants. I went in my garden yesterday, and they were totally decimated. And I know they're they're not this typical. Mahonia that is so rampant and is so widespread. But it was a cultivar of a Mahonia. They were relatively new. It's like a fine-leaf Mahonia. They were wiped out to the ground. So guess what? These creatures, they like some, mostly natives, but they'll still, if they're bad boy insects or rabbits or deer, they'll eat the non-natives as well let's go back and talk about the pollinators because we had talked yesterday and said that this is something that we really need to plant a garden and talk about you know the steps of cultivating your caterpillars and then your pollinators and everything so let's talk about that for a minute Okay. Yeah, that's great. That is um, something that I get so
1: many phone calls, emails, visits, I'm asked to do consultations and really the number one thing that I am asked about is pollinator gardens. Um, People, Basically, people have this idea that they want to plant things that will attract butterflies. Um, Certainly there's plenty of other pollinators out there that that kind of um, habitat will attract. But there's really some very important things that you have to have in place to put a pollinator garden in. And the first one I would say is so important is sun. Um, people have kind of a uh, misunderstanding. They think that a shady area will be just as effective for a pollinator garden, but sun is really where it's at. If you think about a butterfly, they require the sun to heat up their blood so that their wings can pump and fly. And so a lot of times in the early morning before the sun hits them, they're resting. No, no only... butterflies on rainy days. Right. You exactly. Out, so. Yeah. Yeah and uh, so you have to have sun so they've kind of evolved and all of these plants have adapted themselves to grow in the sun where the most butterflies are going to be so if you think about out in wild spaces you're more likely to find butterflies in a meadow than say a woodland you'll certainly find some things in the woodland but most of them are going to be hanging out in sunny meadowy areas so the most important thing that you need for a butterfly
0: garden is sunlight so i consider eight hours of sun sunlight is oh that, yeah that's, the, that's that's the number great. you're the minimum you're coming yeah
1: from? well i mean you can do some stuff that you know take like four or five hours but the more sun that you get the better and then that brings me to another point is that butterflies have to have post plants if you want the full life cycle of the butterfly to happen in your butterfly garden you absolutely have to plant the host plants.
0: So let's tell our listeners. Let's kind of explain host. Um, probably everybody knows, but let's just kind of go over that a little bit. Mm-hmm. The host. Well, the host plant is typically um, not a
1: traditional plant that you would think that a butterfly would go to for nectar. Um, a host plant, for example, if you look at the eastern black swallowtail, really common, large yellow butterfly, it has to have plants that are in the kind of dill family. To go to in order to lay eggs And for the caterpillars to eat So the butterfly will go to pretty much any flower To collect nectar But where it's going to lay its eggs And where the caterpillars are going to grow up and eat And turn into a butterfly is on a host plant So you may not ever think about Putting parsley or fennel into a beautiful Butterfly garden But if you want to actually support the whole Life cycle of this butterfly Then you have to have those host plants in there as well
0: Okay, so I assume That you've know the various butter- butterflies and they all have what's let's go over a couple of unusual host plants other I mean I think dill and fennel and the parsley for the swallowtail is yeah. an unusual what are there any other that you wouldn't think of? Well, the monarch, and I think people are starting to become more aware of what's
1: going on with the monarch habitat, but they absolutely have to have milkweed. I mean, they they may come by your garden just um, looking for nectar sources, but if you want to attract them and guarantee them in your yard... You really have to put milkweed in there. And that's a blooming plant. It's pretty in its own right, uh, but that is what they use exclusively. Um, but then there's other things that you really probably wouldn't think of planting but are actually important host plants, too, like violets. Where we live in Georgia, violets are incredibly common. And the violets are an important host plant for a variety of butterflies that you see in the early spring um, as well. Also, different things like clover. When you say violets, you're
0: not talking about like a pansy or a viola. You're talking about a violet, like Mm -hmm. a Labrador violet or a... Yeah, just a a little wild blue blue violet. Okay, great.
1: So having those in your yard, even though they can get kind of weedy and take over, it's actually great for nature because in its own right, without you even planting it or knowing anything about it, you're going to get butterflies that use that as the host plant.
0: So would you recommend... um, Trying to attract a variety of butterflies by having several different um, host plants. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So just kind of mix it up and then see what you get. Mm -hmm. And at the Nature Center, we have an extensive
1: butterfly garden. So we have everything in there. Queen Anne's Lace, um, parsley, fennel. Um, We have, of course, plenty of milkweeds. We even, within the garden, we do actually plant violets as well as tulip poplars, which are the host plant Um, for another one of the swallowtails Um, so we have those and they're kind of on display but wild cherries are a host plant ashes are a host plant so there's a lot of things that grow wild but you can also incorporate into your yard if you have a really manicured lawn without a lot of wild plants there that you can incorporate them back into it to bring those butterflies into your garden too
0: right so to like bring the the butterflies to lay their eggs and have their do the host how many plants would you need i mean would you like 10 milkweed plants i mean is that enough to sustain like yeah that's a good number to
1: go with um an error that i see is people frequently will pick up one of this, one of that, one of this. And I understand they don't want to make a great commitment to something that they're not really sure that they're going to see That's caterpillars good point. on. That's a good point. But if, when you get to the height of when those caterpillars are happening, which is midsummer to fall, depending on the species, the more plants you have, A, the more butterflies you're going to attract. And... Um, are going to lay more eggs and have more caterpillars. And B, if you don't have enough plants, you'll be probably calling a local nature center begging for these plants to put in your yard because caterpillars will decimate, like you were talking about with your Mahonia, they will decimate a plant very quickly. And if they don't have something else to eat, they're really in trouble. So a lot of times we'll get people that actually donate their caterpillars to us because they've run out of food or they'll ask, can you sell any? And we always try and keep some around so that we can sell still sell them um, some plants to keep their caterpillars going, but um, you always need more than you think you need. So don't do one or two plants. I would recommend like a handful, six, 10, 12. Okay. So if,
0: if a monarch is on a milkweed and uses this, your plant eats, it's gone, a lot of gardeners might say, oh, no, they're going to jump to my, you know, like gorgeous roses or my gorgeous camellias." <laughs> they're not going to do that. No, they won't. They only recognize their host food source. So it's really a safe way. I mean, you—that re- that is really a key point to me in butterfly gardening is that they're going to you know, stick with what they love. Mm-hmm. You know, they're right. gonna, eat, you know, they're either going to eat their steak or their vegetarian dinner. They're not going to switch it out. Yep. Just like the rest of us. Okay, so we got our host plants. Um, are these easy to grow, the host plants? Yes, they
1: are, especially things like parsley, fennel. They're very easy to grow. Again, you have to have sun. If you try and plant these in a shade garden, you're not going to be happy with them. If they even grow... They probably have some mildew or some other issues associated with not getting enough sun. Um, the milk, the milkweed group is a little bit different. Um, some of the milkweeds require a really wet area. Some of them do better in a dry, gravelly area. So you want to think about your property and where your garden is going and just make sure that you match up the right milkweed for the habitat that you already
0: have. Okay, good point. Good point on that. Um I bet a lot of the people that ask about this obviously have children. So I kinda want to talk about children and butterfly gardening. We're going to take a quick break, Lisa, and be right back with the Master Gardener Hour.
2: Come on, follow Snipples to Atlanta's Go-To Center for Breathing Easy. Do you suffer from chronic sinus headaches, recurrent sinusitis, facial pain or pressure, and chronic congestion? Well, balloon sinuplasty just could be the cure you're looking for.
3: Follow me and breathe easy.
2: FollowSniffles.com. Sniffles.com. We treat the problem, not the symptom. Chronic sinus symptoms, gone. This could be the cure you're looking for.
3: Follow me and breathe easy.
2: This proven in-office procedure can have you breathing easy, back to work the next day. And it's done under local anesthesia. Get lasting relief, a quick recovery,
3: and start breathing easy again. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Sniffles.com. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes. Q U I K stakes. The truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
2: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm, we're here with the Master Gardener Hour and my guest, Lisa Cole from the Chattahoochee Nature Center. Uh. She is um, a mom of a gorgeous four-year-old? Five-year-old. Five-year-old. Okay, he's grown. (laughs) He's grown. And she's also expecting her second child. We're talking about butterfly gardens. And during the break, we were kind of talking about children and how the host plant, I mean, God, how cool would that be? to have these plants in your yard and have young children come out and see the cycle of life. So let's kind of talk about that and maybe not really do's and don'ts of having children with the butterflies, but how you can explain and what you can let them do when they're around the host plants once the caterpillars are on the plants. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that butterflies are just magical for children and also adults. I see... I see children frolicking through our gardens and just being kind of at one in that moment with the butterflies, with everything that's going on. And I see adults really capturing that with cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like all of these elements that are taking place in the butterfly garden. Um, children. It it makes perfect sense to them. They just have a mind that can grasp and understand it. So when you show them a host plant, and you show you can show them the egg, you can show them the caterpillar, you can show them a chrysalis if you can find it, and then the butterfly. To them, they just grasp it, and there's just magic in it. And I think everybody probably has a memory. I know I have a special memory about the first time that I went to a butterfly house. It was down uh, in Middle Georgia at the Callaway Gardens. They Had just opened this butterfly house and we went there. And it was absolute magic just to be surrounded by all of these butterflies. And, you know, if you start to study butterflies, you see that they all have different flight habits. And some are really fast and some are really slow. And some you can almost get close enough to touch. And some, you know, just want to fly away and are very skittish. And, you know, you can just delve deeper and deeper into this world of butterflies. And it's easy for children. There's no risk associated with it and uh you know it's kind of one of those big big bang for your buck kind of things just having a butterfly garden where children can go and just interact just for a few minutes with nature and be in that moment not thinking about anything else
0: and you know you say be in that moment think how lucky a family would be to have this going on in their own garden Mm -hmm. so that they could go there more than just a moment and go and see the stages and see, I mean, you know, see this going on. I mean, I just think that would really be a great thing for a family to do together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, plus it just, I mean, these plants, I mean, milkweed, I think it's such a cool looking plant, you know, I mean, it's all different colors and, you know, you just... It would be a great thing to do. So let's, like, parents, let's think about it. Let's maybe get these kids involved in this. Um, Now that, you know, you've got your host plants, so let's kind of move on and talk about once they're born and once they're flying around, what do you want to have in your garden to sustain these beautiful guys? That comes to the ever-important nectar source,
1: which is... Exactly what it sounds like. It's the big, beautiful landing pad flowers that are going to be the ones that attract butterflies to them. So some really common ones that most people know about are things like coneflowers, like purple coneflower, or you may know it as echinacea, um, black-eyed susan. The things that have like a really big central disk surrounded by colorful petals, that is actually a giant landing pad that a butterfly sees in actually different colors than what we can see and it kind of hones them in saying there's food here, there's nectar here and of course for the plant, you know, by a butterfly visiting it, it's going to pollinate or cross-pollinate with another plant so it's got its own advantages for attracting a pollinator to it as well Um, Other things that attract butterflies are going to be anything in the salvia or mint family they have a lot of nectar that they're constantly pumping out, so it will be very attractive to butterflies. Um, and then a plant that, or a time of year that people don't think about as much, most people think about like spring and high summer, you really, really need to incorporate plants into your butter, into your butterfly garden that bloom in the fall. And goldenrod is the top plant for pollinators. Um, hey,
0: guess what? I think, what is it, 120-some-odd? cultivars of goldenrod so you can have your pick?
1: Yes, exactly. I'm I'm
0: not talking about the weedy, seven-foot-tall
1: goldenrod from the side of the road. There are so many different goldenrods that you can go with that are well-behaved or short or spreading or not spreading. Pretty much whatever you want, you can have. Another great one is Joe Pieweed, and it's a eupatorium. So anything in the eupatorium um, genus would be good for you, anything like bone set, um, any uh, or any of those that bloom in the fall Because a lot of the butterflies Really need the nectar source Particularly the monarchs As they're moving back through And these plants are really powerhouses
0: of nutrition Okay, so As specific as butterflies are With their host plant are they obviously less specific about their nectar plants Yeah, they'll mix it up. Exactly um, some okay. of them
1: would if, if they have a choice they'll choose one plant over the other um, but most of them are nonspecific they'll just go to anything that looks like it's going to provide them with nectar. Um, some plants are better at providing nectar than other ones are and all the ones that I've listed are really top producers um, but butterflies are, are more nonspecific about the nectar plants.
0: Okay what about the typical fall plants like chrysanthemums do they go for those um they do
1: but because they're not native the usual chrysanthemums aren't native they're not going to go to them as often and then it also depends on if you have like double and triple flowers and they don't actually have a disc in the middle of them a lot of times they don't they're just made kind of for us to enjoy they yeah, don't so necessarily it really have needs nectar to be
0: more of a flat type like you describe it as a landing pad mm-hmm. type so that they can just light yes exactly okay okay so i mean and obviously the more of these nectar plants you have it you could attract butterflies that actually weren't Born in your yard, you're going to attract them from all over. Correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Because they're going to just fly by and see what's going on. Yes, exactly. Can butterflies smell? Um, they are attracted to the flowers through smell as well as sight. So they can they'll fly by, see it, and then kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So this is just some. This is just such a great cycle to get going and. I mean, how cool is that? So what else do you need? Do you got these great flowers in your yard? I know you have to have a water source for them. So let's kind of talk about water and how this works in the, you know, in the nectar process. And, you know, as soon as they're born, you know, they need water. So let's, how do they like to drink? Well, pollinators in general do better with a water source, especially
1: if you have things like honeybees that you're culturing. It's very important that you have a water source nearby. Um. Also, a lot of times if you're building a butterfly garden, it's helpful to have landing spaces that can just be shallow where butterflies can land and get water. They actually like to pick up salts as well. So a lot of times, they'll, if you notice that butterflies are landing on you, it's because they like the salt in the sweat. Um, they need it for production. So they're also attracted to that. Um, but a lot of times you'll see in a butterfly plan that there are um, kind of shallow depressions with sand in them where it's encouraged. For water to be
0: okay, so they're not going to go like land, are they going to land on like a bird bath? A lot of people have like shallow bird baths, that's not what you're talking about, really.
1: No, it's more, it, yeah, it's more shallow than that, and usually they're just kind of incorporated into the landscape of the butterfly garden.
0: Okay, so how, talk about how would you make something like that? Well, at the Nature
1: Center, we, um, our original plan included an area that was very, um, it was kind of a sandy area, and it was planted as well, but it was just designed so that butterflies could light there and get the water and the salts that collect um, kind of within the
0: sand, Okay, so kind of like a beach-type scenario. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you would rely on rainwater, or you would actually put water into this area so they could come? Well, we do have a tendency to have some dry weeks during the summer. So
1: since a butterfly garden, um, like most native plants, needs about an inch of uh, of water. You're going to have to
0: supplement the water. Yeah, you supplement it if it's dry. Okay. And I've also seen, like in different butterfly gardens, like a flat area with like sponges. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, saturated sponges that the butterflies could light on—is that mm -hmm, realistic? Yeah,
1: that's something that we actually incorporate in our butterfly house that we have at the nature center. We have a—we had a butterfly house last year, and we're going to do it again this year, um, where people can actually go and interact one-on-one with butterflies. And they're offered a um, a stick with a sponge on the end of it, and it's actually put in Gatorade, which is nice and sweet, just like a natural electrolytes and salt in it. Yep. So the butterflies would be attracted to these little sponges as well and they land and they can taste with their feet and so they just kind of land on there and feel around and then kind of sit from the sponge as well and they can
0: taste with their feet mm-hmm. okay i didn't know that i really didn't know that's cool i like that i know we're we're here to talk about native plants and what's going on in the nature center with the native plant sale but i must say um the Butterfly Festival at the Chattahoochee Nature Center is one of the coolest things, and I think this year it's in June. Mm-hmm, that's right, and um, it is something that you really need to bring your family to. Come early or either come late because it's crowded and there are a lot of people there. But it's really really cool. Um, so, what's how how long do the butterflies? How long will they stay in Atlanta? I mean, through they'll be here through the spring, summer, Mm -hmm. fall, Mm -hmm. and then they kind of go away. Yeah, you see the height of the butterflies in,
1: in um, summer, end mm-hmm. of summer, into the fall. That's when the most butterflies are going to be flying through. But we've actually seen those little cloudy sulfurs all through the winter time. So they just kind of would spring out of nowhere during a sunny, sunny day, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of magical. And you just see one or two. We also have a vegetable garden there, so they attract them there as well. Uh, but we would kind of see these floating through. But definitely the height of the season is going to be starting in spring. And especially at the end of the summer.
0: Okay, because we kind of all know the monarch story and they're a big passage. Where do the other butterflies go? They go to uh, different areas
1: where they overwinter. So a lot of times they'll overwinter as a chrysalis, and you have to really know where to look for them because they hide themselves very well. Some of them actually go underground, and then they emerge in the spring, like a lot of other pollinators. Um, but a lot of them, a lot of times, they'll hide themselves under sticks or uh, under kind of bark. They just camouflage really themselves. Find themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay that's that's it's it's neat i really i think this the aspect of having the native plants available to buy at one place is like a cool place and i hope people in the other part of the country I know there are nature centers all over the country and it's really like a great source to kind of get this cycle going so i i totally urge you to do that um Anything else about butterflies that, that that just would blow somebody away to know?
1: Hmm. Well, I would definitely encourage people to plant uh, very. Uh, intensely to get as many butterflies to visit their yard as possible but you know I'm I'm always surprised because my mother put in a butterfly garden and it's small you know it's only mm-hmm. like three feet by three feet maybe.
0: Okay but, so there's uh, a
1: minimum there. Yeah I mean you could have something really small and still with the right plant selection you can attract okay. a ton of butterflies. It doesn't
0: have to do Lisa, with the So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the Master Gardener Hour and we're going to talk about the size of this garden.
2: Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF a nonprofit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog, for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you.
3: Quick stakes. That's Q U I K stakes. Are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick stakes. Q U I K stakes. the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
2: This is America's Webradio.com. The best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my guest, Lisa Cole, and we're here with the Master Gardener Hour, and we're talking about natives, which I know you guys think I talk about natives a lot, and I have, and I will continue to because it's something that as a gardener, I mean, I was a camellia hydrangea like rose girl, and I really have come to You know, take a second look at natives and really appreciate them and learn a lot more about them. Lisa is such an expert and does such a beautiful job at the Nature Center. We're going to talk about. Some of the ways you can use natives in your landscape, because Chattahoochee Nature Center is having a big um, native plant sale coming up um, the first two weekends in April. But let's talk about shrubs, because I really think you get big bang for your bucks out of shrubs, because they last a long time mm-hmm. and they take up a lot of space in your landscape or, you know, fill the void. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of hit some shrubs, Lisa?
1: Yeah, shrubs are uh, so underutilized. A lot of times they're just put in as like a hedge between you and the neighbor, and they can be so much more than that. I encourage people, if they want something like a butterfly garden with blooms all season long that attracts pollinators, but they don't have time, that's the thing I make sure. Do you have time to do this? Because if you don't, you can still put in something that is going to look fantastic and bloom all season long, even in the wintertime that will just look great, like you said, fill the void, make something beautiful out of your space, still attract pollinators, but once you get them in the ground, and of course you do that watering establishment period, you will be rewarded with a lifetime of beauty, fragrance if you want it, long bloom po- time, unusual plants, there are so many things in the world
0: of shrubs that you now, can Okay, let's get some of these, because this sounds like a home run to me for our listeners to kind of get your pens and paper out and let's like go over some of these great shrubs Mm -hmm. the first one i'll start with is
1: the native azaleas we have a wide selection of native azaleas we have a lot of them on the grounds and I use them to prove to people how easy azaleas actually are. Um, you put them in the ground. They can actually tolerate a good amount of sun. Um, they don't have to be in deep shade like they typically grow in the wild. And there's so many different kinds. You can get them to bloom from the very earliest of spring all the way until fall. The latest uh, bloomer, which is the plum leaf azalea of the native azaleas, blooms from July to August. So that's there's,
0: yeah. I mean, there's nothing going on there in Azaleas, in the normal cult, you know, the traditional mm-hmm. Azaleas. Yes, I always encourage
1: people, especially if their old Azaleas are dying out. Hey, try some of these; they're they're different. And you can get any color form. You can get white. You can get light pink, bright pink, mm-hmm. orange. You can get fragrant, non fragrant, short, tall, spreading, mm-hmm. upright. There's mm-hmm. so many different varieties of the native azaleas that you can go with.
0: And let me say one thing right here. I, you know me, I'm like real particular about a lot of things. You guys know that. But I believe that azaleas should be planted in mass with the same like color schemes so that it looks gorgeous and your eye it looks very soothing to you and you see you know a lot of that same color you know in one part of your yard and then if you want to go with another color or do something else then move it so that it's you know kind of out of your line of sight so do you do you plant like that or do you how do you do you mix it up Sometimes
1: I like to have a mix as well. I like to have surprising pops of things that happen randomly, um, like the Florida azalea, which blooms at the end of typically at the end of March and into April, a little later this year. But it is a orange sickle purple or orange sickle orange color, and yeah. it is just absolutely brilliant. It's fragrant and it is show stopping. So kind of to pop a few of those in there, maybe it's like around an excla- your property.
0: Exclamation point.
1: Yes. And your neighbors are definitely going to be asking, what is that flower and where can they get it? Could
0: you get, like, like an early bloomer, mid bloomer, and late bloomer in the same color scheme if you wanted to keep your colors the same? Mm -hmm. I I think you've – we were – I think at one of our sales, I worked with a lady that she wanted, like, early, mid and late bloom. And then she wanted to mix up the fragrances. I mean, she says she was into this perfuming and blah, blah, you know. And it was Mm kind of interesting. So I guess if you really did your homework, you could put together a palette with natives. And I don't think you can do that as much as readily with... uh, Mm non-natives, you know, I mean, it's just, you have a lot of choices. Yeah, the variety is certainly there with the
1: native azaleas, for sure.
0: Okay, got that. And so the butterflies would come and... Mm-hmm. They'd come. To yeah, the they dead. see it as a nectar source. Certainly. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. They have those great tubular flowers that attract them in. And what about other? What about other pollinators?
1: Uh, other pollinators use them as well. Yeah, the, a lot of the bees, which are non-specific, which will go to almost anything, you'll see them um, coming around. So it's like the flowers bloom just in time for these bees to be emerging out of the ground. So they'll use them as well.
0: Okay. Okay. You don't ever hear about azalea honey. I don't guess do you? Not uh, as I don't much as wildflower so. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, that was a joke. Anyway, okay, so natives, native azaleas, I think it's like got to be one of the biggies. So, what else, Lisa? Well, in the shrub world, I've got a few favorites. Um,
1: a lot of people have shady areas where um, they're fine when the trees kind of have leaves on them, but. You know, the rest of the year they want uh, their woodland to be kind of separated, I guess, from the neighbor a little bit and have an evergreen hedge in. But they sure. feel like there's nothing that will work in the shade. And that is not true. There is a great plant that we use um, around buildings and places where we need an evergreen, but kind of shady. And that's called the Florida anise. Um, it is great. It has a fantastic kind of licorice sweet smell to it. And then it has red flowers on it. it. kind of blooms intermittently throughout the season and it can get tall and bushy. It can tolerate being cut back. It is great for shady areas. So that's one of my favorites. And then here we have a lot of people who have issues with erosion control Or they're kind of on the water and they don't know what they can plant that will look good. So for them, I like to um, recommend the Virginia Sweet Spire. I love
0: that plant. Which is just a
1: wonderful plant. I mean, brilliant fall color, bright red, just gorgeous. And then it also blooms these long spires of flowers that are very attractive to hummingbirds, butterflies, bees, and other pollinators as well. Okay, so
0: when you say water, I mean, how much water are you talking about? Well, they actually grow native around the river, the Chattahoochee River. Okay. So you
1: can put them in areas right on a pond or a stream, but they can also tolerate the drier areas too, so you can put
0: them right in front of your buildings. that's a good tip. That's really good because a lot of times, I mean, you will have... You know, the creek beds and things like that through your yard. So that would be a perfect plant for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Let's see. What else you got?
1: Um, another one that I really like cause people love their hydrangeas is the oak leaf hydrangea. Oh. Uh, it does lose its leaves It is it is a deciduous plant But it has this lovely Peeling bark And the oak leaf hydrangea I see has really become A more popular plant Which I'm very happy to see But the flowers They do persist Through the winter time Like a lot of the hydrangeas So even though There's really no leaves You can still have flowers Holding on and, uh, and when the leaves Change in the fall They turn all different colors Purple, orange, yellow All on the same plant So it's just got a lot of quality to it um, year round.
0: My my woodland area is full of oak leaves. I mean, that's like my go-to plant. And, you know, everything I've read is they like no attention. Like, don't fertilize them. Mm-hmm. You know, don't amend the soil. It's almost like planting a tree. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, some of your other plants, you would put you know, amend your soil and fertilize and do all these kinds of things. Are you on that same page with me on that? Yeah, we because it's a native, it requires so right. much less of that anyway. It's just
1: so adapted to the soils here. Um, but we have ver- we do very little fertilizing around the Nature Center just because the native plants do great with it. And the oak leaf hydrangea, you're exactly right. Unless you're trying to prune it for size, you know, if it's just overgrowing a fence or something like mm-hmm. that, you never really have to touch it.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, I'll All I do is if something, if I have a lot of branches that crash down and, you know, will break branches. I mean, that's really the only time I think I've ever cut anything off is when it's, you know, when a branch is broken. And Mm -hmm. then, and I certainly leave the flowers on it through the winter because they're so cool. Mm -hmm. So you have these sticks with these incredible long, you know, 12-inch panicles on the end of of the oak leaves. So I can't say enough about those. Or... Any of those, I mean, I guess some of them are non-native, because I have, like, a lot of different varieties that I've, you know, bought over the years. So, is there one for, like, Georgia that's, like, the best, the hardiest? As far as the Oakleaf hydrangea, Yeah, I mean, does? I've heard of Alice and Ellen Huff and, you know, just the traditional, I guess... No name, but mm,
1: so yeah, we just carry the straight species. We've been so happy with that that we um, don't actually have any cultivars of the oak leaf hydrangea. There are a few plants that we carry the cultivars in, especially like I was saying, native azaleas. Okay, okay, okay. Color.
0: But those you just sell those, okay? So you're gonna have those available at the plant sale. Mm-hmm, okay, you got it? Awesome, awesome, awesome. What about uh, Florida lacoste? or Lakothi. How do you pronounce it? Porta Lakothi. is, great that... plant. I is a great plant. I love that plant. I love that plant.
1: Yes, it has kind of a tropical look to it. It seems almost like, what are you doing growing up here? And it's such sort
0: of um, a up here in Georgia. Yes, it yeah. is.
1: And it makes such a lovely screen in the wintertime. Very low maintenance, very easy. You don't have to prune it unless you want to. If you want to make it more open in habit or it's a size thing, you can prune it or you can just leave it as a hedge And then in the spring It gets lovely white Little bell-shaped flowers Underneath that are fragrant um, And it's just It's one of my favorites as well Because it can go in the sun Or the shade So a lot of people, again When the leaves fall off the trees And they feel suddenly Like everyone can see Into their windows This is a great plant To kind of build some hedges Around your property
0: Yeah, with. that's kind of What I've used in my upper yard Over years And I put it, like, around down one great screen on one side of the property, and then I looked to the other, and I went, why didn't I do that 20 years ago over there? It was probably a money issue yep. 20 years ago, you know, but you just – so you, you fill in, and you do, but it grows – it's, it's a nice grower. I mean, it grows quickly, but it doesn't get, like, crazy out of hand. But it gets to a nice size to really give you a great border, you know, f- you know, from your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, shrubs, any other knockouts? Or? Um, we are carrying one this year that we haven't carried before. You can
1: usually find this one kind of in the trade under different cultivars. But I really love the witch hazel. I love a witch hazel because when it is February and cold and... It seems like spring will never arrive. This plant is blooming, and it smells so good, and the flowers are so unusual. You can cut them and bring them in the house. I've heard them compared to um, shreds of coconut or spider legs. They're bright orange, and they smell so good, and they bloom all up and down the branches. So you can cut them, bring them indoors, put them in water. It's one of my favorite
0: plants because it blooms at a time when nothing else blooms. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean... Lisa and I saw some at the Atlanta Botanical Garden, and they were gorgeously shaped trees. Oh, yes. Beautiful, beautiful. What's the sun requirement on that? Because I might have to get a witch hazel. Yeah,
1: sun or shade. It's going to bloom more, of course, in right. the sun. Um, and you can get tree forms of them. You can get grafted tree forms, or you can get the natural
0: shrub size or okay. type as well. Okay. We're going to take a quick break from the Master Gardener Hour, and we're going Lisa and I are going to be back, and we're going to kind of wrap it up with some other great natives. That you can get at the Chattahoochee Nature Plant Sale.
3: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e verifying your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I 9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866 286 6200. That's 866 286 6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
2: PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com.
4: This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out.
2: The best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my guest today, Lisa Cole from the Chattahoochee Nature Center. And we're talking about natives and, you know, We've kind of, we talked about shrubs, which I think are, you know, the biggest bang for your buck in your landscape when it comes to natives. But let's, you know, I think a lot of people always get so many questions about ground covers. Mm -hmm. Ground covers and vines. I think we kind of know the, you know, the flowers scenario or we you know, we can always learn more, but, but ground covers and to do something that's native, that's really going to take off. You know, I look back at my landscape 20 years ago, and I had a giant amphitheater of red clay that was 120 (laughs) feet wide and 30 feet tall. And the only thing I knew to do was to plant English ivy on it. And I so wish that I knew some native ground covers that I could have, you know. The yeah. budget covered up this, you know, red clay hill. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about ground covers.
1: Yeah, that's great. Another thing I see a lot on consultations or hear in emails is I planted English ivy back when I didn't know any better, mm-hmm. and now what am I supposed to do? So I've seen your yard. I'm amazed because you put a lot of work into that. Yeah. Um, it looks great. But as far as ground covers go, yes, there are so many options out there that are native and that can replace English ivy, Mondo grass, and Lirope. Okay. Um, one that I recommend now. If it's a ground cover, you have to expect that it's going to spread. Um, so, and that's what you want. Absolutely, green and gold is a really good ground cover. It actually—it's like a strawberry plant. So it actually kind of sends out a long arm with a baby plantlet on the end, and these will spread. They spread to the point and where they're thick enough where you can walk on them. Um, not as much as the lawn, but they do handle some some uh, compaction like that, and they're thick enough that no weeds come through, which is really nice. They blew- weeds
0: come through English ivy. I mean, you know, yeah. I have to use like a pre-emergent, you know, to keep the weeds from coming through the English ivy. Yeah. So they will cover the ground more. You know, the, the ivy vines grow, and then there's dirt, mm-hmm. so they come up. So the green and gold will actually cover mm-hmm. the ground with the plant and then send out the runner, and then that becomes another plant. That makes sense that it would mm-hmm. be harder for a weed to get through. mm
1: mm-hmm. And then green and golds—they also bloom these little yellow flowers, which are just so sweet and dainty in late spring to early summer. Mm-hmm. Then they bloom periodically throughout after that. Um, another, so they stay—it stays green all. Mm-hmm. It is, long. yep, it's evergreen too. It's Evergreen, okay. Because mm-hmm.
0: we got to, you know, we're talking evergreen ground covers is kind of what we. Okay, mm-hmm. so go ahead. That's uh, a good one. Some great ones if you want
1: to—if you want to keep the look of a mondo grass or a lirope, um, but you're just not happy with that plant, you want to switch over. To natives, I recommend a K Rex. Um, K Rexes, there are some that just stay in a clump form, they never really get bigger than that, but a lot of them will spread. Um, one I found that seems to be my favorite is called K Rex amphibola. It's creek sedge, but it, don't be um, thrown off by the name. It also takes the drier areas. But it has a very bright green, lustrous color. It keeps it throughout the wintertime. You can go through, just like with those other grass-style plants, and cut it back once a year in, say, early March with the lawnmower or with the weed eater even, and then it'll just send up new, fresh green spikes, But, uh, you know, the K-Rexes are good because they have seed heads, which which attract birds. So they're an
0: important food source for birds. Okay, and both of these can take sun. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, sun are shade. Okay,
1: okay. Um, Some of the K-Rexes do better in shade, uh, but the K-Rex amphibola, that creek sedge that I'm talking about, does great um, in sun or shade. Um, another one that can take sun, and this is for you people with really dry, rocky areas, is a plant called Toes. It's Antenaria is the genus. And that one I really like because the leaves on it are kind of like a white, fuzzy leaf. Oh, um, similar good. to lamb's ears, but a lot closer to the ground. Very, very mm-hmm. small. And then they send out these dainty little white, unusual flowers in the spring and into early summer as well. And that's one that you can use um, in, kind, of, like I said, a rockier, drier area. So if you've got, like, some stone steps and it's an area where you just really don't know what else will grow there, this plant will grow there.
0: So are these going kind to of spread pretty quick? I know the green and gold, mm-hmm. you talked about the, like, arm with the little plant on it mm-hmm. what about the Creek's edge and the pussy toes? yes
1: if they're happy in their environment they'll spread really quickly um it's you know it's you have to kind of look at things in like a two to three year oh, form but the green and gold that we put out on the property within two years it had just spread to make this nice mat in an area that was a washout and we didn't really know what to do with it
0: oh, that's so right. and that's,
1: that's yeah these ground covers are fast spreading as long as you put the right plant in the right place they will reward you with
0: spreading fast like that oh my gosh that's that's good that is great because I just you know I think I'm gonna do the hire the goat and let them eat my (laughs) ivy in two days no way in heck they could eat my ivy in two days there's too much of it um any other recommended ground covers uh let's see. I really like the uh, River Oats if you've got the space for
1: it. Key is if you've got the space for it. River Oats it's is a like crazy. Yes, it is a really important food source for birds. looks so in good in the winter time. I mean that would mm-hmm. be
0: great. I yeah. mean you think of it not being like a ground cover ground cover cuz it gets a little bit taller mm-hmm. but still it just fills the void of the that that's that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, could you mix this up if you had a large area and do you know a little of this and a little of that to kind Certainly. of stagger it? Mm-hmm. I mean to okay. Yeah, well, that would be good. Do you ever use bonds for ground covers? Um not well
1: most of ours grow kind of up. Um we do have some Uh, of the Carolina Jessamine that in some areas of the Nature Center have kind of taken to the ground. Actually, we have a green roof there and there's some that a bird brought up there. And so it's kind of growing over um, but most of the time we use our vines to grow
0: upward. Okay, okay. What what kind of native vines have you got that are going to be for sale at the plant sale? Well,
1: that is a great question. We've got a new one for this year, and it is a type of trumpet honeysuckle, which is the native honeysuckle Monitsera, uh, wow. and this one is a cultivar called Major Wheeler. Um, it doesn't get the mildew, like some of the trumpet honeysuckle cultivars have been known to do. And it blooms throughout the entire season. So it'll have a big flush of um, blooms in late spring, and then it'll bloom until fall. The reason people like the trumpet honeysuckle is because it is such a feeder for, honey, for hummingbirds. Oh, they wow. have these really long orange wow. tubes, which is what a hummingbird wants to right, go to. Right. And uh, so it is just fantastic for that. And then another thing that I just found out about it is that it's a host plant for the um, lacewing moth which is a moth that looks like a hummingbird. Most people think it is a hummingbird, but it's actually just a very large moth, and it's the host plant for that. So you can uh, automatically get some of those caterpillars in there and then have a very interesting moth floating around your yard. It's a moth that comes out during the day with the butterflies. Um, but a lot of people think it's a hummingbird. It just has a really unusual form to it. Well,
0: wow, it must be pretty big mm-hmm. or, or pretty fast. Pretty yeah. big or pretty <laughs> fast. You think yes. moths is being... Slow. That's so you're gonna have that available. That's mm-hmm. good to know. Okay, and honeysuckle's gotta be full it's gotta be in full sun. Yeah. Most of the vines vines just yeah. it's just hard to grow. I've I have like a woodland area and I had a couple of areas that I wanted a vine on and I have tried so many different things, and, mm-hmm. and you know, the, with the flowers on the vines, they just need the full sun. Well, a vine is designed um, by nature
1: to climb up quickly to look for sun. So, if Makes you put sense. a vine in a shady area, you won't see it bloom near the ground. But you'll see it kind of transform the top of the tree into a magical blooming thing that looks nothing like what the tree should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times you see trumpet creeper doing that. So the vines actually started at the ground, but it's not going to spend any energy blooming near the ground. It wants to get up to
0: the sun to bloom as much as possible. Okay, that totally makes sense. Um, What else you got for vines?
1: Um, Another vine that we have is the Carolina jessamine um carolina jasmines another one of those like the witch hazel that blooms in the winter time for you very fragrant bright yellow flowers um kind of tubular flower so it attracts those earliest pollinators out as well blooms during a period of time when not too many things are blooming um so that's a great one to add to your property as well and the nice thing about it is that it's evergreen so it can cover a structure or a fence line all year long with the green and then it has the yellow flowers in late winter right
0: right does that would you, would you think that would require uh a lot of nutrition a lot of supplements like as in Fertilizer, or is it pretty? Nope, we don't even fertilize ours don't at even all. Do yours. It just we, goes. And it goes nuts.
1: We have to cut it back two to three times a year. I get some volunteers out there yeah. to just I've been bring, there, bring it done back that, in, and it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it really
0: is. It, it goes crazy. Is it? Can Can you cut it back like kind of? I mean, gosh, we were just hacking it. I mean, because it was so prolific. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just grew, grew, grew. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's 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 very, very hardy. I, that would be a great plant. My, I have a, a neighbor, and they have a gazebo, and the, they never go outside, and they're not really gardeners, but theirs is gorgeous, and it covers their gazebo in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And every spring, I mean, February, January, really, January, February. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gorgeous yes it's gorgeous so okay so that what about um clematis do you have any of those for sale well it's funny you ask we don't have any
1: of them for sale um but we that is one of the important plants that we use in conservation as a little aside yeah i i I
0: knew the answer to that question Mm -hmm. but and because we work with them tell us just a little bit about that about the clematis that we work with at the Nature Center.
1: Okay, um,
0: conservation is really
1: important at the Nature Center, but it's behind the scenes. Um, so you ha- we are a grower for plants across the state of Georgia um, that go back into the ground in various areas. We work with a lot of different organizations to make this happen, the zoo, Atlanta Botanical Garden, um, various just various groups on the state level to the private level um, with conservation. But we are one of the growers, so we have a lot of plants that people would think, what is that? You know, But we grow them um, okay. for propagation purposes, purposes to go back into the wild. Interesting.
0: We'll talk about that another time. Lisa, let's wrap it up, and let's talk about the plant sale and the dates and the hours and... Um, So people can know what's going on. Okay. Um, It's coming up next weekend.
1: If you're in the area and you want to come to a presentation about native plants, what they are, and beautiful pictures of the ones that we recommend, that's going to be next Thursday at the Nature Center on April 3rd. Um, from 2 to 4 p.m., I'm going to be giving that presentation. It's half inside and then half is a walk around the grounds to show what we do with native plants. And then there's a uh, a members-only preview sale that evening. But if you come to the program and you're not a member, you can come to the sale. So you get kind of first pick of what's going on. And then our sale is also um, that Friday and Saturday, the 4th and 5th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then also, we are now extending it out to the following weekend, which is going to be the 11th and the 12th, and 10 to 5, both of those days as well. And we're just really
0: excited to be getting more native plants out into the area around us. Lisa, it's been a pleasure to have you with us on the Master Gardener Hour, and I really hope listeners in the south and Georgia, it's worth the drive over. So come to the Chattahoochee Nature Center next week on the Master Gardener Hour.